Bitcoin ETFs begin trading. Launch success, price fail. Welcome back to the Bitcoin layer. I'm Nick Batia. A historic week indeed for Bitcoin as spot ETFs finally begin trading at some of the largest investment houses in the world, such as BlackRock and Fidelity. Today, we will talk about the volume and inflows for the first couple days of trading. We'll talk about Grayscale and GBTC's role in the numbers. We will, of course, address Bitcoin's price decline significant in the last couple days. And for all you rates junkies, stay till the end. We are going to talk about the decline in short-term yields, the steepening of the yield curve, Fed cut expectations, and what we're looking for. The Bitcoin layer is proud to be sponsored by River. Go check them out today at river.com slash TBL for a special offer of up to $100 worth of Bitcoin for free when you go sign up. Now, River is a Bitcoin-only exchange. They do not keep your Bitcoin on a third-party storage solution. They have their own method of storing Bitcoin. They also recommend that you get your Bitcoin into cold storage once it's purchased. They allow you to use Lightning Network. And there's these great features, including a recurring purchase on the hour. You can send Bitcoin to your friends and family now via text message. Go check them out today at river.com slash TBL. Now, the Bitcoin ETFs were certainly well telegraphed from regulators and the private industry itself for the last several months, especially since the mid-October court case in which the SEC was handily defeated by Grayscale in the appellate courts. In that decision, the SEC was charged with being arbitrary and capricious in its treatment of Grayscale and the GBTC vehicle attempt to convert to a full ETF. This is another way of saying that we knew Bitcoin spot ETFs would begin trading at some point during the first quarter of 2024 for quite a while. So even though we knew it was coming, the live launch of these vehicles is certainly a historic moment. And the numbers are the reasons, right? If these vehicles came to the market and were a complete fail, it would be an embarrassment for Bitcoin and it would look poorly on the investment case for Bitcoin going forward. That was not the case, however. The numbers were fantastic. So let's get into them. In total, the first day total trading volume was about $4.5 billion. This is a record for an asset class launching an ETF on an individual basis. However, records were not set by BlackRock or Fidelity, but aggregating all 11 of these ETFs, and we did see a record amount of volume on the first day. That is the $4.5 billion number that you see at the bottom of your screen. There is one large asterisk, of course, which is that GBTC, as you can see here, had 2.3 of the 4.5 billion in volume. So about half of the volume done in GBTC. Why is this the case? Now, if you look over to the right-hand side under total assets, let's only look at the GBTC total assets right now on the screen. We will look at uh, another chart 
soon to show us the rest of them. But this number, $28 billion, is the current assets under management of this GPTC vehicle. $28 billion is almost 3% of the entire Bitcoin supply in existence. So a very, very large number of Bitcoin held in this vehicle. Now, this vehicle has been active for 10 years, and therefore, there are a lot of investors that were previous to yesterday locked into GPTC without some sort of either penalizing withdrawal fee, redemption fee, or taking it on the chin when it comes to swallowing the discount to net asset value, right? GBTC over the last year plus has been trading at a discount to its net asset value, meaning the share price is below what the amount of Bitcoin is worth in that vehicle per share. So what does that mean? You have 10 years of investors, a vehicle that was previously illiquid that for the first time yesterday became liquid in the market. And in that vein, the GPTC discount to NAV has practically disappeared, and the number one traded vehicle yesterday of all the launches was GBTC. So it is our estimate that a lot of the volume yesterday was simply the liquidation of GBTC by investors that have been waiting for this moment and either converting that into a BlackRock ETF, a Fidelity ETF, or something else. We also want to note that the Bitcoin ProShares ETF, which has been trading for three years now, since 2021, the ProShares ETF, which is a futures ETF, also saw some volume that we assume was a rotation from futures ETFs into spot ETFs. Now let's talk about the clear winners of the day, BlackRock and Fidelity. BlackRock showing about $1 billion of volume on its first day, and Fidelity showing about $700 million in volume. So about uh, almost three quarters of a billion there for Fidelity. So in first and second place, BlackRock and Fidelity, and we will confirm this first and second place with the inflow numbers, which we will get to here in a second. But judging by volume and looking historically, a very, very successful launch for the suite of ETFs that were approved and decent spread in terms of we saw four ETFs with over 100 million in volume. That would be, of course, the BlackRock and Fidelity ETFs, followed by the ARK Investment ETF, which saw almost 300 million in volume, and BITB, which is the Bitwise iShares ETF. So a nice mix of volume, and let's get into the inflow numbers because in all honesty, that is what we are looking at. How much demand is there in total? How much supply will be taken off the market, put into cold storage at these qualified custodians? And uh, that is in the end is what will put upward price pressure on Bitcoin. Okay, now let's go to the next chart. The columns here are the same. Now the volume column here in this second chart are today's volume numbers 
provided to us uh, by Joe Consorti here this morning. But it's a midday number, right? We're recording this midday on Friday. You guys will see this Friday afternoon, evening time. The volume numbers are midday day two numbers, but now I don't want to look at volume. I want to look to the right in the fund flows and total assets. So what we saw yesterday is a net inflow of about $600 million, 625 to be exact, $625 million into the suite of ETFs. That is a net number because we have a negative number from GBTC of 95 billion. So the 625 is not my favorite number here. Let's explain why and a better way to look at this. Now, these fund flow numbers for GBTC are not necessarily live. Okay, we do know, however, that about 700 billion in money came in to these new ETF vehicles, right? So not 11, but 10. So the non-GBTC vehicles, we had about 700 million in inflows. That means that at the end of the day or whenever they are legally obligated to do so, right? We will get an expert on here next week to explain to us exactly about, is it T plus one, meaning the following day that they have to show the holdings? Is it the same day? Is it 6 p.m.? Is it 4 p.m.? We will get all that information for you by next week. Our point here is that the GBTC number, we are understanding that that number, the net outflow for the day of negative 95 billion is not a full number for yesterday, Thursday. We will learn more throughout the day. And of course, we will continue to update you at the Bitcoin layer. But here's what we want to take away here. 700 million came into these funds on day one. This is a very impressive number, but it is nowhere near the $28 billion being held in GBTC. So you guys have to understand here that the GBTC vehicle, which just became a liquid ETF, has 10 years of investors and almost $30 billion worth of assets under management that will serve as an overhang to the allocation of the new 10 ETFs in the market. So this enormous price pump that some were expecting, and we were even speculating or trying to look forward to whether that would happen, it is clear what the market is telling us, especially with the price decline in, a, in the first couple days here of live ETFs, that the GBTC AUM that we currently have will serve as the supply in the beginning to the demand for the new vehicles with Fidelity or BlackRock. So what we have here now is either three years of investors in the ProShares ETF or 10 years in GBTC. We have all these investors that have basically had only these two vehicles and now have a total of 12 vehicles. They will rotate out of the two into the other 10, and we expect that to continue over the next several weeks or even months. What that means for the price in isolation is unknown. Of course, we don't know what's going to happen with the price, and we don't know what this one dynamic is going to do to the price. Rather, it's our goal to understand 
the dynamics in the market and some of the moving pieces here. So keep in mind this 28, 30 billion in grayscale AUM, have that in comparison to what is so far a $700 million number. And let's just assume here that by Friday's close and by the weekend, we'll learn, or by Monday morning, we'll learn that over a billion dollars is now being held in cold storage by Bitcoin ETF managers. That's an enormous amount of money, and it is big news because it's all you see that it's already now if we have a 900 billion or 800 billion market cap for Bitcoin, that means that 1% of Bitcoin's market cap is somewhere about $8 billion, right? So as we get to 1 billion, we're already talking about one eighth of 1% of all Bitcoin in existence. If you multiply that by a few weeks, it does look like we will be at a few percent of Bitcoin's total supply being held in these ETFs in just a few weeks. Maybe less, maybe more, but it's going to happen soon. So then what happens in one year? What happens in three years? You're going to have this major player in these publicly traded ETFs. When it crosses $28 billion, or when it crosses the amount of money that was held, let's call it 3%, just to overestimate, 3% of all Bitcoin being held in GBTC on the day of these approvals, when the total AUM of all the ETFs crosses 3%, now you're in the unchartered territory. And so it will take time, right? We are looking at all these people making million-dollar predictions for Bitcoin or $100,000 Bitcoin on the day of the ETF, this is not looking at the context of what the overhang of GBTC is and also the basic reality of supply and demand, which is that at any level of price, you will bring in new supply, right? When we hit $70,000 in Bitcoin, you will have a cohort of holders that sell their Bitcoin. Because they either bought at the top, they want to exit their position flat, or they bought low and are looking for a potential double top at 70000 and are selling that number. What that does to the price in the immediate seconds, minutes, days, weeks, is not our job to forecast here. We're not a hedge fund. We're not a trading service. But we should be keeping you at home grounded and explain to you that at every price, it will bring in fresh supply. And those are basically people on the sideline waiting to sell at a certain price. So we will see the market digest all of these inflows, selling of GBTC, which still has a fee north of 1% relative to the other ETFs who have a fee of less than 1%. That should drive investors out of GBTC into other vehicles, whether that was on purpose by regulators and Grayscale to get it through. Uh, maybe we'll find out about that later. We can speculate and guess that that might be the case. We're not making any claims here, but uh, we can definitely speculate that a smooth transition from 30 billion assets under management, spreading that out over several ETFs, all launching on the same day, we can estimate that that might have been something that was done on purpose by regulators and Grayscale. Okay, so 
keep all of that in context as we move on to some of these other numbers, especially the price chart. The last note I want to make here on this graphic is that the numbers that you see in terms of the inflows as well as the GBTC should all have asterisks on them as yesterday was the first day of trading. We are not 100% confirmed that these are the final numbers for the day yesterday across the board. We're almost certain they're not the final numbers for GBTC in terms of the net outflows. And so let's wait until tomorrow. Make sure you subscribe to our research letter. We offer a free research letter to you guys at thebitcoinlayer.com slash subscribe. Definitely go check us out over there so that you can have all the information that we're bringing you in your inbox every week. So subscribe to our research letter and we will make sure to keep you updated on where these numbers fall out. Now I mentioned the price as a price fail. It is a price fail when looking at a two-day context, but zoom out and we will give you that context that you need to show you really what's going on here. So let's look at the price chart and I want to point your eyes to Grayscale defeats the SEC in court. This happened in October. This was a decision in the appellate court system that basically said the SEC in its Denial of Grayscale to convert GBTC to a full ETF. In that denial, the SEC was being arbitrary and capricious in its interpretation of some of the contributors to that decision. Basically, the SEC still maintaining that the underlying market can be manipulated. With the ProShares ETF, futures ETF being live, and the reference indexes being essentially the same, this was the downfall of the SEC. Now look at what happened to the price since that decision. Straight up an 80% rally off of the mid-20s to almost $50,000. So when we talk about the ETFs getting priced in, look at this increase in price over the last two plus months. That is where the pricing in of the ETF happened. If you had read an article about GBTC, or better yet, read the Bitcoin layer or watched our video with Joe Carlosari at the time, you would have understood that ETFs were an inevitability. We also had Eric Balchunas from Bloomberg on last month to tell us that the ETFs were practically a done deal. So the ETFs being priced in happened largely during October and November. The price has been mostly flat since the end of November here. And we see that at the ETF launch, then Bitcoin has declined by a little over 10% since the moments of the stock market opening on Thursday morning at about 9.30 a.m. Eastern Standard Time. So what do we see here? We see a price fail, but only on a two-day basis. When zooming out, we see over a 70% increase of Bitcoin since the grayscale defeat of the SEC in the court system. And we should, we will bring it even more in context for you of what this means. Let's look at the same 
chart, but zoomed out a little bit. And now we're looking at weekly candles instead of daily candles. And what do we see about these two levels, the grayscale level and the ETF launch? Operating between 25,000 and 50,000 is something that Bitcoin has done many times in the past. It did it in 2021 on its way up to an all-time high of 70,000. It did it on its way down as we were heading into the FTX debacle. But before that, we were heading from 50 to 25. So we have to keep this in context that actually Bitcoin has been here before in terms of its overall interest from the investing public and, of course, its price. So we are in the beginning stages of the next phase of Bitcoin adoption due to these vehicles, but from a price perspective, let's keep it in context and note that we have been here before. Okay, I promised you that we were going to talk about rates, so I have two closing charts on the interest rate market. What we've seen in the last couple days is a sharp decline in front end yields once again. We see this trend continuing for the past couple months as interest rate cuts are being priced into the market. So I had this uh, rounding top here expectation at the end of November, early December here. I've left that line here unchanged as my baseline expectation was for two-year yields to roll over, head toward 4% in 2024 as a series of rate cuts were priced in. This has actually happened much quicker than I have expected myself as we are now only a few basis points away from 4%. But more importantly, we were only a few basis points away from the twos tens curve uninverting. And what did we say all year? The curve would only uninvert in a rate cutting scenario. So it does look like we are heading into that sooner than maybe anyone expected. Our baseline expectation is still June, but the market is certainly trying to get that forward into May. We have March still at less than 25 of cuts, but May at well over 25 and about 50 basis points of cuts. So sticking with this chart here of the two-year yield, these are weekly candles, a very, very sharp decline in this latest weekly candle as twos plunge toward 4%. What was the main driver? Today, it was producer prices. It is still inflation. That is the big worry of the bond investors out there. So if they see inflation coming off, which they have continually for over a year, it does support bond buying. Today's number at the PPI level, deflation on the month over month basis is very, very bearish for inflation, meaning that we might be seeing outright declines in the CPI continue for much of this year. And that would put a year-over-year -year deflation print at risk. That's not our baseline call, but you should be looking at the data in the month-over-month -month to see that actually producer prices and consumer prices are going not higher, but flat to lower. That should bring the Fed into play for interest rate cuts as it will be able to justify cutting interest rates in a month-over-month -month deflationary environment. Let's close with our monitor of where interest rates are going to be at the policy level. 
the expectation here is that the policy rate will be about 1% lower by the fall. And so in order to get there, we'll have to get cuts probably starting in May or June. Now, we do expect the Fed to make a change to its balance sheet program as early as March. That sets the table for rate cuts to follow. So a viewer asked, what does the slowing of QT or the end of QT mean for rate cuts? What it means is that the communication is firmly in the easing side of things. The bias is easing. So if the Fed says we are going to slow down the pace of QT in March, it makes any announcement fair game in May because they said, hey, look, we already told you things are getting tight. So let's move toward less tight, less tight. They already stopped rate hikes in July of last year. So now they're going to stop the balance sheet runoff. Well, they can't stop it suddenly. They have to announce a slowdown before the stop, and they have to forecast that all in advance. What they can forecast in March is that rate cuts are coming. That could put May basically locked in. So look for that to happen. We're not going to tell you right here that we'll get rate cuts in May. We do actually believe that rate cuts are coming by June, but that's because we have a few meetings and we have to, it has to go one step at a time from a communication standpoint. What did they say in the January meeting? We're not going to cut rates, but we might say something about the balance sheet next time. Then in March, what will they say? Here's the balance sheet and we might say something about rates next time then it paves the way for a May rate cut. So from a communication standpoint, that's what we have to keep our mind on. Once again, follow us on social media at the Bitcoin Layer and subscribe to our free research letter at thebitcoinlayer.com slash subscribe so you can stay informed on everything to do with Bitcoin and global macroeconomics. We'll catch you next time. The Bitcoin Layer is very proud to be sponsored by River. Go check them out today for a special offer at river.com slash TBL for up to $100 worth of Bitcoin for free. River is a Bitcoin only exchange and we want you guys to make sure you are getting allocated in the safest way possible. Go check them out today.